Amen, amen. Uh, you can give, this is good to know, you can give without loving, that is possible, but it's impossible to love without giving. And what you just heard from the Upsons, I love what they said in that story. Uh, at one point they said, it, it's hard to be a self-centered Christian. I would say, really, self-centered Christian is an oxymoron. And what generosity is, and, and one of the reasons that we talk so much here about generosity is generosity is the journey toward being more selfless. That's what it is. Generosity is the journey from uh, getting away from my self-centeredness and becoming less of a selfish person and beginning to care about other people. And we love the story of the ups and downs. And we love it for a couple reasons. One, of course, it's, you know, we, we always say here, your time, your talent, your treasure, right? That, that's what we are to be generous with. And you heard some in that video, and it was important. You heard about you know, them being generous with their treasure. They talked about tithing, and that's great. What I found even more fascinating as I watched that video was the conversation about being generous in retirement. Now, now, what do most people do when they retire? They check out and they chill out, right? They say things like, well, you know, I already you know, I raised my kids and I paid off my house and I worked for 30 or 40 years and now it's my time to check out for the next two or three decades before I meet Jesus. That, that's what I'm gonna do. And, and they did the opposite. They said, well, you know, I don't have grandkids and uh, we've got some extra time and so I'm gonna leverage it. Now, this is a good question to ask in every season of your life. What does it look like for you to be generous, right? And it looks different in every season. So if you're a college student, you have little money, lots of margin. Now, college students don't know this. They think they have lots of, they, you know, I don't have a lot of time. Add a house, add a marriage, add kids, add taking care of your home, add a career. You, you look back on your life and you realize, I've got a lot of margin. It, it just, the question is asking, what does it look like to be generous in every season? Here's what I want you to know. If you're new to Two Cities, whether you're watching online, welcome to VHQ venue, you're in this room. Uh, we have a few main values at our church. And here's what we say. The, in scripture, the, thing, the plain things are the main things, okay? So what is plainest is mainest. I know it's not a real word, but you know what I'm saying. And so one of the things that is plainest and mainest in our church is generosity, along with gospel, along with the word of God, along with worship, along with prayer, along with discipleship, along with mission. And so if you're here and you're like, you know, I love that. Or you're watching online and you go, I, I, I want to be a part of that. Uh, there's only one way, not two ways, not 10 ways to get a part of our church. And it's through the weekender. And we have our next weekender coming up this coming weekender, uh, this coming weekend, huh? also called weekender, February 26th and 27th. We've got a few spots left. It's the five o'clock service. So you can go online or outside the, the welcome tent or the website, sign up there. That's a great way to say, hey, maybe you're not sure. Do you want to get committed? Do you want to get connected? Maybe you just want to have a conversation. Whatever it is, that's the next step for you. We saw what it looks like to, uh, to we saw several people take the next step of commitment today. There's, every Christian should always be asking, what is my first step? What is my next step? With that said, let's take a moment and pray because we are about to dive in to an incredible portion of scripture and an incredible, we're in the midst of an incredible sermon that Jesus is giving. So let's take a moment, prepare our hearts. It's been a busy day, it's the five o'clock service. Uh, I don't know what's happening in your, your day, but let's, let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we come to you right now in just a posture of humility. That what it means to be Christians is that we, we believe in a religion of the word, that everything is about the word. It's about the word of God being taught and loved and believed. It's about us responding to your word in worship. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, you would ignite in our hearts worship. I know we're coming in here from many different backgrounds, from lots of different responsibilities, different temptations that we have felt this week, different struggles, different joys. And now we just take a moment all together to look at your word. Would you please bless it, Lord? Would you use it mightily to convict and to comfort and to convert and to counsel people in here? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, if you're new, welcome. Type two, turn two, uh, Matthew chapter six. We are in the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, by the most famous preacher ever, Jesus Christ. And if it's your first time, you're jumping in halfway through our series, and that's okay. Well, I'm gonna kind of catch everybody up. Uh, what we've been looking at is a very famous sermon. And Jesus starts out by talking about the self. And that's where you a lot of times, you, you, know, you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. And so Jesus starts and he says, here's how you should think of yourself based on who I am. And that's when he says all those statements, they're called the Beatitudes, blessed are you who you know, are meek and who mourn and who are, are broken and who are poor in spirit and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, that's the right view of yourself. And Jesus changes our lives. So we see ourselves differently. And, and then he says, okay, so see yourself differently. Then you're sent into the world. And that's mission and that's your salt and that's your light. And, and we talked about that. And then we spent a lot of time and some of us liked it more than others and didn't like it as much as others. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about our sin. And when we talked about our sin, we, we, you know, we talked about lust and we talked about adultery and we talked about anger and we talked about murder and we talked about revenge. And, and we, we did that for, I think, three or four weeks. And then last week, we talked about the spiritual disciplines, right? And that was, you know, we talked about giving, we talked about praying and we talked about fasting. And there's a lot more spiritual disciplines than that, but those are the three that Jesus was focusing on. And so this week, he moves from the spiritual disciplines to talking about your stuff. Not as excited this week to talk about that. Okay, talk about your stuff. Talk about money. Talk about material things. It's interesting. He's gonna get incredibly practical. And, and, and this is good to know. Christianity is intensely practical. Like we like, to, we like to do what theologians call make a sacred secular divide. And we like to do that because it's like, well, this was sacred, right? I mean, we did baptisms, it's sacred. And this building is a church, so it's sacred. I mean, we can think that way. Or I read my Bible, that was really sacred. Or I prayed, that was really, or we had community group, and that was really sacred. And maybe my week is filled with five to 10 hours of sacred. And then we think of, you know, well, your hobbies and your habits and your free time, you know, and your weekends and your entertainment, that, that's all secular. Well, that's not how the Bible sees it. The Bible says everything is under the eye of God. Everything is supposed to be worshiped. And so what I want us to do is, is today, tonight, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 24. I'm gonna read all of it to you in just one moment. And Jesus is going to talk about wealth. Next week, he's going to talk about worry. And those two things consume a lot of our time, wealth and worry, and they're connected, and that's why Jesus connects them. Um, this week, we're gonna talk about material possessions and money. Next week, we're gonna talk about anxiety and trusting God. So I think it's gonna be an incredibly, and this, this is, we're right in the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. With that said, I'm gonna slowly read us Matthew chapter six, verse 19 to 24. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter six, verses 19 to 24. Here's what it says. Do not lay up. And if you write in your Bible, and it's okay to write in your Bible if you feel comfortable with that. You can write store up. It's the same word. Literally, it's actually don't treasure your treasures. That would be the literal Greek. Don't treasure your treasures. Don't store them up here. He says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures. And that's interesting because, right? I mean, treasure kind of gra grabs your imagination, doesn't it? Like, what's your favorite movie from the 80s? Those of us who are around there? Goonies, of course, Right? What, what is it about Pirates of the Caribbean and pirates in general in the hunt for treasure, right? And then the greatest movie of the last hundred years, National Treasure, okay? <laughs> not a coincidence, this is about treasure, okay? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And by the way, what you're gonna see here, and this is helpful, Jesus doesn't say, hey, just trust me. Just, you know, don't worry about money. Don't worry about wealth. Don't worry about possessions. Just trust me. He actually, and this is important to know, he uses rational, logical, coherent, intellectual arguments to get you there. 
He's not just gonna, it's, this isn't a quote unquote leap of faith. This is rooted in biblical understanding and reality. Here's what he says. Verse 20, but, here's what, the, you know, but shows contrast. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Argument one is done. That's his first argument. Okay, then he's gonna switch. He's gonna talk about your eye. Secondly, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, or it also could be translated just good, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Okay, argument two is done. Argument three. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, this is such a simple text at one level. Like, okay, I mean, like, look at it. It's like, okay, you have two hearts that are connected to two different treasures, right? Two states of your heart, two treasures. Two ways to see two bodily conditions because of that, right? Light and darkness, the good eye and the bad eye. And then at the end, two masters that are in conflict one another, with one another. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. And so at one level, it's very simple. Jesus is going to talk to us and give us an argument for why not to put our treasure here on earth, but to ultimately place our treasure in heaven. Now, before I do any of this, I have to talk about a couple of background things. And if you're new, this is what we do each week. Part of what we do is you have to have, part of what we're doing on Sundays is we're building a city in our minds to think biblically about everything. So we can't just like jump in and start talking about money. It's like, there's a lot to say about money before you even talk about that passage. For example, um, is God against, against money, possessions, property, resources? The answer is no, he's not against it. Now, this is good to know because there's an old heresy, and you don't have to remember this word. There's an old heresy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, very simply stated, because by the way, there's nothing new, right? Things come up and say, oh, this is new. No, that's not new. This has been around for a long time. Gnosticism says the world is bad, heaven is good. Earth, uh, material is bad, the spiritual is good. The body is bad, the soul is good. Now, Christians don't believe that. We believe well, everything's good, but things have been corrupted and broken and the world has is, is fallen since Genesis chapter three. But the Bible is not against us having things, it's against things having us. Now, okay, here's another way to think about it. Is the Bible against wealth? No, well, no, you know, there's multiple types of people, right? There's godly people who are poor and there's ungodly people who are poor and there's godly people who are rich and there's ungodly people who are rich. So there's four different types of people, okay? But there's a lot of godly, rich people in the Bible. Abraham, godly and rich. You know, Solomon, for some of his life, godly and rich. For some of his life, ungodly and rich. David, godly and rich. I mean, there's a lot of wealthy people. Now, now here's what's the problem with wealth, right? The problem with wealth, it, God's not, you know, doesn't, isn't afraid of us having stuff. He's afraid of stuff having us. And here's what that means. What Jesus is addressing in this passage and in many other passages are the negative effects, potential, let me say it more carefully, the potential negative effects of wealth on our souls. And if you've ever made more money now than you made in the past, you would, could relate to this at any level. And it would be amazing, it really would be amazing if, if you could have lots of money Literally, I mean, it'd be great if you could have lots of money and you could have lots of money and you could have lots of money and then you could have all the material things you wanted and, and, it, and, we, could all, and we could all have it. And that would be amazing if it did nothing to our souls. That there's something, it seems, and we'll look at this passage, there's something that money does to, and possessions do to our soul. And part of what we see in this passage is it anchors us here. That, that tends to be, it tends to make us say, this is where I'm happy, this is where home is. There's a third thing that we have to talk about with money and it's savings. Is the Bible against savings? Because if you just read this passage, you'd think, 
I can't save anything ever. Now, is the Bible against savings? No, it's against the selfish accumulation of stuff. Yes, it is against that. But is it against, you know, read the Proverbs. Hey, the ant stores up, great. Hey, you know, save enough money for your kids and your kids' kids. I mean, that's in the Proverbs. It's like, well, that's a lot of money. Now, today, you know, we're, it's interesting though, because savings is a concept. It's not a massive concept in the Bible. It's a huge concept in America, right? If you ever, and I'm not a financial advisor. If you ever meet with a financial advisor, like, you know, and you're a normal human being with a normal income, it's a little overwhelming, right? Well, you should be saving for your emergency fund. Okay, I can do that. Well, you should also be saving for college. Well, I can do that. We should also be saving for retirement. I don't know if I, well, you should also be, sa- you know, actually your money should be, uh, you shouldn't just work for your money. Your money should work for you. So why don't you invest uh, uh, with, with what left? Well, and actually now you got to invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> okay, it's like, it's just overwhelming. So the Bible is not against saving. The Bible is not against um, wealth. The Bible is not against possessions. We have to say those kind of things. And then we have to look at what does Jesus say about money? Here's the last thing I'll say as we, as we look back at this passage. What money does is it's an amplifier and a magnifier. That's what it actually, t- it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is true. So when you get more money, here's what happens. There's more of you. And sometimes that's not a good thing, right? Like, I mean, money doesn't solve everybody's problems, right? There's an old saying, you know, what do you call a cocaine addict with no money? Alive. Because money doesn't solve, sometimes, I mean, money makes things worse for some people. So what, it's like, well, when there's, so this is why a lot, some of you, right, because this is a lot of young people in here, a lot of college students, a lot of medical students, people tell themselves lies all the time. Here's the here's number one lie people tell themselves about money. When I make X, I will do Y. And Y is different than something you're doing now. So people say things like, oh yeah, yeah, when I make six figures, then I'll give. When I get out of debt, then I'll save. It's like, no, you won't. We actually know you won't because when you get more money, all there will be is just more of you. And so unfortunately, everything that you're doing will just be amplified and magnified. So money is an incredibly important topic. Let's look at what Jesus says about it. I'm gonna take each of his three arguments uh, individually. Let's look at his first argument. It's found in verse 19. Here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves. We read this again, but I want us to see it. We read this earlier. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's Jesus' big point in this first passage. You can't take anything with you from this life. You can't even hold on to it fully in this life. You can only send it ahead. That's the whole thing. You can't take anything with you and just live for a while, and you'll see what, you know, whether, you, whether you lose it, whether it's stolen, whether illness takes it from you, whether sickness takes it from you, whether the stock market goes down. It's like you can't even keep it in this life. And so Jesus says, but what you can do is you can send it on ahead. Now, as we get into talking about this money stuff, I know what happens in people's lives. I know what happens in your life. As soon as I start talking about money, you know, by the way, if you don't like the sermon, it, it's pro- you probably love money. I mean, that's what happens. You know, whenever I talk about money, the people who don't like, who, who money is their master and they love, they love money, they don't like to make eye contact, they don't like the sermon. People who are like, well, I love the Lord and I wanna be faithful with money, then they're like, great, I'm glad you're talking about money. So anyway, um, so basically what he's saying here is that money can, uh, that we need to store up treasures in, on, uh, not on earth, but in heaven. Now, at, when he gives this, a lot of times our personal attorney will come up in our mind and we'll start having a conversation with ourselves. And here's, here's how the conversation normally looks like in a room like this. When I start talking about money, everybody starts thinking, I hope the rich people are listening. (laughs) 
right? Well, and there's a couple ways around that. There's a couple. So first of all, to realize if you make thirty thousand more than thirty thousand dollars as a family, then you're considered in the top one percent in the world. So that that should humble us. We're all rich worldwide. And then also, it should be humbling when you realize that. Wait a second. Jesus gives this to a very very poor group of people. I mean, so they were so poor that it was considered if you had a second pair of clothing, you were considered wealthy and rich. So you know this, you don't have to have money to love money. So so what Jesus is gonna talk about is is he gives this principle, look at verse 21, it's a very interesting principle. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And there's a couple interesting things about that. The first interesting thing to notice that uh, that, that Jesus helps us understand about ourselves is that we are very emotionally connected to our money. Right, I mean, it, see how heart and treasure are connected? Uh, you would like to think, and I would like to think, that I'm an objective, disinterested, completely rational human when it comes to my money. But if you've ever had buyer's remorse, you, you know that's not true. That, so we tend to think, okay, we, we are disinterested. Here's the, there's, there's a couple other interesting things about this. What he says there is he says that where your money flows, your heart goes. And, and you'll know this, if you've ever invested in a stock for the first time and you're checking it all the time, you're like, why am I doing this? Well, it's because you're now connected to it. Your, your treasure went there, so your heart went there. You don't raise your hand if you've ever bet or gambled on a sporting event. I actually knew a guy who he couldn't watch sports unless he was gambling because it wasn't emotional enough for him. It, it, he had to be in it. He had to be connected to it. This is what happens with us. We need to be... Uh, now, here's another interesting thing. Sometimes people will say to me, or they'll say to themselves... I wish I had more of a heart for missions. It's like, well, I know the answer to that. You start giving to it. People say, I wish I had more of a heart for the unborn. I I really would love to grow in my heart for, you know, the poor. I'd love to grow in my heart for the church. It's like, well, we actually, the answer to that is maybe counter, it's maybe not what you think. The answer to that is if you start giving to it, your heart is going to go to it. So Jesus tells us, he says, do not store up treasures in heaven. Now, there's two reasons, and I thought about this a lot. There's two reasons I think we store up treasure here. Uh, And here they are. We think that it's gonna make us happy and we think that this earth is our home. That's why we store up. And you gotta ask this question, does money make you more happy? Well, the answer is not as easy as you might think it is. The answer is kind of yes and no from the best studies. MIT's done a study, I believe Harvard's done a study, and what they found out, and, and again, it's adjusted a little bit based on where you live, it's less expensive to live in Winston. What they have found is until a person makes, again, based on home and how many children and everything, it might change a little bit. But ba- basically, until a, uh, when a person makes up to seventy dollars to $90,000, up until that point, it actually makes you happier to make more money. Until about the threshold of seventy dollars to $90,000. And that tends to be, that's when you can keep all the bill payers away or bill collectors away. That's when you're not worried that your Honda is going to break down and something terrible is going to happen. You're not going to be able to afford it. You know, or, or your AC unit's gonna go. It's like, well, I could pay all my bills I, and I can basically handle any massive emergencies. They say after that, money contributes zero to your overall happiness. Isn't that incredible? It's just, it's like, I love it when science and, you know, sociology and psychology catch up to the Bible. Okay, this is what the Bible says. So to a certain extent, of course, because we have to live and we have to, and I get all that, and we'll talk about that, that, that it makes a difference, but uh, ultimately there's no long-term connection between money and happiness. But what, what, what do we believe here? We, 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 or what do we believe in America? We have two main values in America that, that of reasons why we store up. Materialism and consumerism. Materialism, right? Material, here's my definition of materialism. If I have more in my hands, I will be happier in my heart. 
And we have so much stuff. Like, it's unbelievable. Do you know that the average, um, the average person, 20, no, 25% of people who own a two-car garage never park their cars in it? You know, it's like, and you know that. You've, well, you've driven in those neighborhoods where everybody's parking outside, right? Because they're also using their garages for more storage. So, so near the BB&T ballpark, which is now the Truist ballpark, I was, this was months ago, I was driving around downtown and I, you know, I love our city. And I saw that they were building a brand new building right next to BB&T. And I thought, yes, we need, you know, I thought, and then it was getting tall and I thought condos, awesome. Or like restaurants or retailer, this is going to be awesome. And then, and then it kind of got a little farther and they started putting brick up. And I thought, someone's investing. Yes, we got, you know, this is a long-term investment here. And then about a month later, they put the name on it. It's, I'm like, it's a storage center. <laughs> Have you seen this? We, we built a massive storage center in, this, in downtown. What's wrong with us? I mean, do you know there are more storage centers, like the centers, not the individual units, than there are McDonald's and, and Starbucks combined? And to make it worse, not to, but not to make anyone feel guilty here, uh, the average storage unit is the size of the average home in a third world country, and it's made out of the same material. I mean, we, we just have, so, the, so we, Americans have 3% of the children in the world. We have 40% of the toys. The average American woman in 1930 had nine outfits. The average American woman today has 30 different outfits. We just have so much stuff. But it's, it's, and, and, and it's kind of arbitrary how I'm talking about these things a little bit, just in, in defining them. Um, but consumerism is a little different. Consumerism is this idea that I can, and it's a uniquely kind of, it's a newer kind of Western thing. It's the idea that I can buy an identity. I can, if I drive a certain car and I live in a certain neighborhood, Right? It's, it's weird. It's not even what I can buy. It's where I buy it. I will buy the exact same food at Walmart and Whole Foods and feel way cooler in Whole Foods and way cooler in Trader Joe's. You know what I'm saying? I can be drinking the same Coke in a, in a McDonald's cup and a Chick-fil-A cup, and I'm embarrassed if somebody sees it in the McDonald's cup. Like, it's the same thing. We're just brand sensitive, right? And I don't know how, how materialism works for you. Like, like, I know a lot of people feel defined by their car. You know, and what car can I have? And you know, I, growing up, I, I didn't struggle with that until the new Ford Bronco has come out. Has anybody seen this? <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was on the internet for hours looking at it. I'm like, it's, you know, I'm just like, it's so expensive, you know? But then I'm like, could I, could I get this car? And could I get it used eventually? And I started looking. And then I remember thinking like, I don't, I had this conversation with myself. I don't think I'm cool enough to drive a Ford Bronco. And then I was like, who would I need to become to drive this? Or, and then I had to well, maybe I'll be more outdoorsy if I get a Ford Bronco. And maybe that's how I can convince my wife, you know? No. Um, so it's like, you know, but it's just amazing what these things do to us. And so we have materialism, we have consumerism, and then we have comparisonism, where we compare everything, right? It's like, that's what we, it's like, well, then I'm comparing my unfiltered life, because I know it, to your filtered life. And I'm seeing that, how do you send your kids there? And you're on vacation again. And you, your house is big. Your family's beautiful. How, well, how are you affording to send your kids to private school there? And so we have this whole comparison gap. And so we're never satisfied. So here's how Jesus reasons with us. I want you to see in verse 20. Here's what he says. Uh, or verse 19, I'm sorry. He says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's his first reason. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You know, he's what he's telling us, that you can't even keep it here. You see, he says, it roth, or, uh, moth, rust, and stolen. He's talking about how things get taken from you, even when you try to keep them here in this life. They're, they're prone to decay, deterioration, depreciation. It's very, very, so there's two things that are really hard to do, and you, and you see this the older you get. It's very hard to make enough money 
right? To make a living wage, that would be to pay for you. And a family wage is really amazing. To make enough money to have a family wage, it's like one person works for five days and provides for everybody for seven days. Wow, pretty cool. One person works for five days, provides for multiple people for seven days. Cool. That, that, that's hard to make that much money. But then when you make that much money, if you get to make that much money or make less, whatever, it doesn't matter, it's hard to keep money, right? It's like, I remember working at McDonald's, making five fifteen an hour. This was back in 2003. And I, and I did the math. I'm like, well, I worked eight hours and $5. And, you know, and, so, and then I get my paycheck and I look at it. I'm like, who is FICA, you know? <laughs> and why is he taking all of my money, right? It's like, it, you, it, it gets taken from you even before you get it, right? It, it, it gets, it, it, you know, it, you look at your old iPhones, you look at your... What, Randy Alcorn says one of the best things we can do with our kids is take them to a junkyard, take them to a garbage site and, and actually just show them and say, this is where everything goes. So he says, if, if it's not, if it doesn't just kind of break down and destroy, he says, secondly, he says, what well, it gets stolen. Now, a lot of us aren't gonna have things stolen directly from us, but it can often feel stolen through inflation or through innovation. Through, you know, it's like if inflation got out of control, you'd feel like, well, where's all my money going? It's, it's not worth what it was. Through innovation, it's like, well, I have to continually contend and adapt just to keep everything that I have, right? It's like, when was the last time you were at a Toys R Us, a Borders, a Blockbuster video, a Sears, a Hollywood video? It's like, they're all gone. Be an unintelligible concept for me to tell you 30 years ago, all those would be gone. But guess what? The average Fortune 500 company only lasts 30 years. And the average family wealth only lasts three generations. Right? And, and the book of Ecclesiastes wrestles with this. The, the, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he basically goes, I've made all this money. Why would I give it to people who didn't earn it, who don't value it and won't manage it well? But that's what often happens to people. And then he talks about it getting stolen. Now, I, 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 one time uh, we had our house broken into in Durham and, and it's a weird feeling to have something stolen from you. And we had our computer taken from us and we had our, um, our television taken from us. But Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry, if you don't know him, he's a famous Bible commentary. He, he wrote a prayer. He, he had everything in his house stolen from him years ago. And he wrote this prayer that really moved me this week. Here's what it said. Here's what Matthew Henry wrote in his journal after he was robbed and, and everything was stolen from him. Here's what he said. Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before. What a great perspective. <laughs> then he says, that's his prayer. He says four things. He says, all right, I thank you. He goes, Lord, I also thank you that although they took my money, they spared my life. Third, Lord, that although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And number four, that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. What a perspective on life. Lord, I'm thankful that what you've, I'm thankful that I have my life. I'm thankful for what I have. I'm thankful that I wasn't put in a situation where I was robbed. I'm, thank, I'm thankful that I'm not the kind of person that would do something like that. Look at Jesus's, this is Jesus's remedy. He says this, here, here's what you should do instead of storing up here. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's talking here about sending, sending it ahead, sending your treasure ahead. If you know the story of the famous Egyptian kings and pharaohs, what they would do is they would bury themselves with all their gold. And they thought somehow if I die with it and everyone buries me with it, then I can take it with, you know, with me. But that didn't happen. They were unable to take it with them. So he says, what you need to do is send it on ahead. Now, this is the concept of what's called delayed self-interest. And it's shown up multiple times in the Bible because God motivates you through love and through fear and through rewards. And so when it comes to rewards, God is gonna do delayed self-interest. Hey, I want you to, he doesn't say, hey, it's wrong to wanna have treasure. 
Like, don't feel bad about that. He's like, it's, it's, it's not wrong to want to be rich. It's let's be rich in the right way. Let's redirect the desire to be rich and let's point it heavenward and let's do good deeds for people. And so you, this world's gonna get better and you're gonna do better things in this world and you're gonna be more selfless in this world and you're gonna get rewarded in the next. He does the exact same thing when the disciples are fighting on, over who's great. And he goes, hey, guys, 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 if you wanna be great, right? That's what he says. He doesn't say, hey, don't wanna, I don't want you to be, wanna be great. Stop wanting to be great. He says, no, no, if you wanna be great, you have to be servant and slave of all. So he appeals delayed self-interest. This is the call to invest your life in the things that really matter. That's what it's a call to. It's a call to say, look, there's only two things on this earth that last forever, the souls of man and the word of God. What does it look like? And it looks, like, it looks different for every person based on your personality, based on your skill set, based on your career, based on your age and stage. What does it look like for you to store up treasure in heaven. What does it look like for you? Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through personal evangelism. When Billy Graham died, Billy Graham is one of my heroes. I talk about him a lot. When Billy Graham died, um, there was all these, he was a worldwide evangelist. He went and spoke and led a lot of people to Christ. There's this beautiful cartoon that was drawn of him the week he died. And it's him at the gates of heaven and there's an angel. And it's, it's, it, you can barely kind of, you can see back behind the gates. And the angel says to Billy, he says, Billy, welcome home. And then he says, he points behind him, he goes, there's a lot of people who would like to say hello and thank you. And you look in the back and you just see thousands and thousands of people. And what an incredible thought. See, I don't think we've directed our hearts heavenward enough. What an incredible thought to say, who would meet you in heaven and say, I'm in eternity. I have eternal life because of you. Thanks for your prayers. Thanks, when you gave to hold the rope, I came to faith in Christ in India. I think that's gonna happen. Those of us who gave to hold the rope and we're gonna see people come to faith in Christ and I bet we will meet people from India in heaven who said, thank you for your investment. So the first thing Jesus says is we have to stop storing up here because honestly, we do that for two reasons. Number one, we think it'll make us happy and number two, we think this place is really our home and it's not. The second thing he talks about is our eyes. If you look at me at verse 22, here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Very simple idea here. He's talking about the eye, right? And the eye is what you see that allows you to move forward in life, right? And this is, it's a good principle to know, like, uh, you know, what you focus your attention on is what you will move toward. This is why when you're teaching somebody to drive, you tell them, like, look where you want to go, <laughs> This is why when you're, when, if you ever take somebody mountain biking, one of the first rules is don't look at it if you don't want to hit it. Don't look at that tree if you don't want to hit it, right? Because wherever we focus our attention is where, what we move toward. So here's the second big principle Jesus gives us. Um, you need to see with a forever lens, not just a financial lens. And I'll explain this, but you need to see with a forever lens, not just a financial lens. So when he says eye here, he says there's a good eye and there's the bad eye. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the perspective with which you see life in. He's talking about the worldview through which you see everything. And what he's saying is the bad eye, and it's, it's connected to money. A lot of people go, is this connected to sex because it's about lust and no, it's not. The context before and after are all, this is why context is so important, is all about money. The bad eye has to do with money. What is the bad eye? Well, the bad eye is the eye that only sees the financial cost of everything. And this is real, and I, I've seen this a hundred times in the last 15 years of ministry. The person who only solely completely thinks about the financial element of it only to the detriment of everything else is a bad eye. Let me give you a couple of classic examples. The person who chooses their job 
only because of finances. Now, again, I've talked before. Of course, you have to think about a living wage. Of course, you have to think about a, a family wage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, th this last, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a doctor, not in our church. Um, and he's actually not a Christian. He's openly not a Christian. We've built a friendship. And, uh, and he tells me, literally, he just kind of opens up and he says, Kyle, he says, I make over $400,000 a year and I'm miserable with what I do. I said, really? You know? <laughs> But he, and he basically told me the story of his parents and how they wanted him to do it and how it was a safe career and how he moved his way up and, and but how he has, and, and, I, and I even encouraged him in all the great things he's doing as a doctor and how he's helping lives. And, but he just said, I'm just miserable. I, here's how I see it. I see oftentimes people will graduate college or they'll graduate medical school and the only, or they'll graduate residency or they'll graduate grad school and the only thing they think about is where is really good weather and where is the highest salary? That's a bad eye. If that's the only thing, and I see that, and guess what they do? Then they call our church and like two years later, we still haven't found a good church. We have no Christian community. Our marriage is falling apart. I don't know why we moved here. It's like, well, there's lots of grace, but that's, that's, that's actually a bad eye. It's an eye that only sees the financial element of something. And this is less common in first marriages. How many people often though in our society marry because of money, right? And here's a good saying when you marry, with, when you marry for money. When, if you marry somebody for money, you pay for it every day. If you marry somebody for money, you end up paying for it every day. And we see extreme examples of that, right? Years ago, there was that, that girl, playboy girl, who she married an 85-year-old man who happened to have $100 million. I'm sure it's just a coincidence, you know. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of an extreme version of, okay, we just know what's going on. He married for sex and she married for money, and that's kind of the deal they're gonna, they're gonna do. Uh, let me give you a real practical third one, and I see this all the time. Um, in our church, I see this all the time among young couples. Couples get married, they're double income, no kids, right? Um, and all of a sudden they have a baby and we're not against both people working and we're not against dual incomes and we're not against all those other things. But what often happens, and I see this all the time, is normally the wife kind of sheepishly kind of says, I, well, I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to kind of stay home maybe. Or maybe I'd like to just go part-time. And as soon as you try to have that conversation or they want to have that conversation with somebody, what, what, and you say, well, then if, if that's what you want, if you'd like to just go part-time, then, then why don't you do that? Well, you guys know what the answer to that is, right? Every time. We can't afford it. And that may be true. And that's up to you to decide that. But, but what's interesting about that is that you can't afford it. Are you talking about all costs? Or are you talking about the financial costs? Are you talking about like, have you thought about like the long-term health of your family? Have you thought about, um, you know, your emotional health. Have you thought about your physical health? Have you thought about your wife? Right? Because sometimes it's guys who don't want to sacrifice, who want their wives to go to work so they can have a higher standard of living. And the wife's like, I'm willing to sacrifice. I see that all the time. I, I saw a situation where a young man was in residency or was fellowship. I get it confused. Those of you who are doctors, please forgive me. But, um, but, but basically, the, this guy, and this was years ago, and they've moved on, and they're great guys. They're, he's a great guy and everything, but he was in residency or fellowship, one of those, and he wasn't making as much money as he thought he should be making. And certainly not as much money as he would be making. And so he started moonlighting. And if you don't know what moonlighting is, either do I really, but here's what basically it is. It's when you work at night and you, know, and you take all these hard shifts that, you know, and you make like $100 or $200 an hour. And so it's really, you know, it's like, well, you know, and people moonlight every once in a while, that's fine. Well, he started moonlighting all the time. Because he's just like, well, I work, I mean, I make this up, but roughly, I, I work a night and I make two grand. You know, it's like, well, that sounds pretty good. So maybe I'll just do that all the time. Maybe I'll just, but then what, what, I saw what happened, right? Then he got, then he was unhealthy physically. 
He was emotionally breaking down. His, his, he had two young kids in the home. His wife didn't want him to work as much. It's like, what happens there? Well, we know what happens there. Somebody just considers the financial cost. They don't consider the spiritual cost. So we, we, I'll give you, I mean, we see this, we see this all over. How about, and, and I mean, I'm not here to get political, but you can just think about how many businesses and industries, the only thing they think about is the financial cost, the bottom line and the profit, and therefore people get forgotten. I mean, you know your, your iPhone should cost you 10 grand. I mean, that's how much an iPhone should cost you. But because of sweatshops and overseas stuff, and I don't understand all of it, but that's how you're able to get an iPhone for $2,000, <laughs> whatever it costs nowadays. Um, but but um, so th- this is, and Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need, you need to begin to see all of life, not through the financial lens, but through the faith lens or the forever lens, not through the lens of greed, the glasses of greed, but the glasses of the gospel. And he says, that's, and that's actually what repentance is. Repentance is I change my mind. This is literally what repentance is. It's, it's, it, the, the phrase repentance is where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's I change the way that I think Therefore, I change the way that I live. That's what true repentance is. I, I see money differently, and I see sex differently, and I see marriage differently, and I see career differently, and I see family differently, and I see my weekends differently. And it's like, well, since I'm seeing all those new things differently, then I'm living differently, which leads to the last thing he says. So first he says, where are you storing things up? Secondly, he's saying, what are you seeing? And thirdly, he asks this question, who are you serving? Who are you serving? One simple verse that Jesus closes this section on money, possessions, resources. Here's what he says. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Third principle is you need to see money as a tool and not an idol. We need to see money as a tool and not an idol. Uh, what's interesting here is he, said, he talks about money as a master. And he says, well, you know, God's master or money's master. And in fact, if you look at the end of your verse, and it depends on your translation, he says, you can't serve God and money. Now, what's interesting here is, um, and I don't do this often, but this is actually important to, for this section. The New Testament's written in Greek. Matthew's written in Greek. All of Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 are written in Greek, except for this word, the word money. At the very end of chapter 24, or verse 24, is literally, he just, Matthew puts the Aramaic word mammon in there. So it's kind of like, it's, it's supposed to stand out. It's like, wait a second, everything was in Greek and why are you throwing an Aramaic word in there? Because mammon is the God of wealth. Mammon is this idea that money has a power and almost like a spirit on it. Why is that? Why is money so powerful? Money is so, it's, well, money is the most, just so you know this, money is the most godlike thing on earth. It has many of the same attributes or makes many of the same promises that God makes, right? Money says, well, I can basically heal you. I mean, not of everything, but we'll fly up to the Mayo Clinic if we need to. I mean, we, we can ba- money can heal you in a lot of ways. Money, money and, and, and right, there's, there's a lot of different idols that, that money kind of calls to. People, people want money for different reasons, right? I mean, some of you want money because it's like it's a status symbol and it's about approval, right? I mean, lots of guys need to make money so their dad thinks they're great, great. So, so some people want to make money because it's comfortable. It's like, well, how else can I have the lifestyle that I want if I don't have money? For some people, they want money because it's power and it's influence. I mean, there's lots of different reasons why people want money. And so he says, he says basically, you've got two options. He says, you can serve money or you can serve God. And it's interesting because as we think about you know, money and is it our master, most people don't think money is their master. 
which would be the same definition of having a bad eye or same definition of storing up here or the same definition as being greedy. Tim Keller, one of my heroes, he said that after doing 40 years of ministry in Manhattan, the financial epicenter of America, he said, I did 40 years of ministry there and nobody one time confessed to struggling with greed. He said, I couldn't believe it. People would come up and they'd say, well, you know, I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with sexual sin or I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with bitterness and I'm struggling with unforgiveness. He said, greed is one of those things that we don't see in our own lives very well. In fact, one of the reasons why Jesus might call, might call it an eye, it's because it's not something that we see. It's more something that we see through. Let me give you a few questions as we close about how you might know if money is your master. You know, I mean, you know, and you have to ask these questions. And then a lot of times when you ask yourself a question, you have to go, you have to ask yourself the question and then go, but really, like, 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 let me slow down and let me journal and then I'll, I'll burn it afterwards and no one has to see it. Like, let me be really honest about, about where I am with this stuff. Uh, here's a couple signs that money may be your master. You have an enormous amount of debt. I mean, we, we know the average millennial has $52,000 in debt. That's consumer credit card college debt, right? That's, that's before they buy a home. Uh, and so what happens is, what happens when two millennials marry each other? Well, then they have $104,000 in debt. It's like, man, okay, well, don't tell me that, you know, not saying every person, but don't tell me that the person who keeps racking up debt doesn't have a money problem. How about this? Do you have any margin in your life? Do you know that 80% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck? That's a Dave Ramsey stat. Now, that doesn't mean the paycheck to paycheck that you think. That doesn't mean like some of those are in there, but that's not the like I need to get... I need to barely get my paycheck so I can buy my rice and beans so I can feed my kids. That's not the paycheck to paycheck we're talking about. The paycheck to paycheck that Dave Ramsey is addressing is how most people live at such a high standard they're dependent on the next time they get paid to keep that up. So questions, do you have lots of debt? Do you have lots of, uh, do, do you struggle to have margin? Is every, is the way, is all, are all of the conversations that you have with yourself about money? Is it the biggest sense of worry and frustration in your life? Is it the big, biggest area of conflict with your spouse? I've seen this many times where a lot of times it's the wife who says, I, I love the Lord. I wanna be generous. I want us to be generous with our money, right? And then the husband says, well, you know, no, we can't do that. And what happens is the wife's saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord. And the husband's saying, I really would like money to be my master. And so there, there's lots of different ways. Do you have debt? Do you, do, you have, uh, do you have any freedom in your life for margin? Um, <clears throat> is it the number one thing you think about when you compare yourself to other people? You know, oh, they make that much, or, but I make a little bit more. And, and I basically walk into a room and based on what that person does for a living, I think about their salary, because we can roughly know. It's like, and based on that, I, think, I, I put them in a hierarchy based on how much they get paid. And I treat people who make more money differently. Might be mastering your life. How do we, how does this change for us? The only way that this can change for us is we, and we go this back to this again and again and again, we have to understand the generosity of God. God had every opportunity to simply store up for himself. Right, I mean, the, the, the gospel starts with God decided not to store up his son, but instead to send him ahead. To send him all the way from heaven to earth. See, we get to send things from earth to heaven. God sent his son from heaven to earth to live the life that we could not live to die on the cross and to rise from the dead. And when a person becomes a Christian, John Piper, another one of my heroes, pastor of, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he said, when a person becomes a Christian, Jesus becomes their, their Lord, their savior, and their treasure. 
That's really what happens. The person who just goes, Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my treasure, doesn't really know him. And when Jesus Christ is your treasure, it begins to change everything about you. And one of the most famous stories about that in church history is a man that you guys have probably never heard of. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth. Humphrey Monmouth, seeing no hands, like one hand in the back. Uh, Humphrey Monmouth. Now, how many of you have heard of William Tyndale? Okay, Tyndale Bibles, okay, yeah, uh, about half of you. So William Tyndale is the, man, is, is the first person to translate the Bible into English. And just so you know, that was illegal. Just so you know, people didn't want him to do that. They wanted, uh, they, didn't want, they wanted to keep the Bible in Latin. And so for him to do this, it was gonna be incredibly expensive. He, he was going to have to quit his job. He was gonna have to, uh, somebody else, was, he's gonna have to figure out how to make a salary. He's gonna have to get all the resources. You're looking at years to translate the entire Bible well into English. And so his very good friend, Humphrey Monmouth, said to him, if you will take on this spiritual burden, I will take on the financial burden. And, and it's an incredible story because Humphrey Monmouth was a very, very wealthy man who said, I will pay your salary because I want to see this done because I have a vision of what it would mean in heaven. He's, he said, not only am I going to pay your salary, you're going to stay with me and I'm going to keep you in hiding. Not only that, I'm gonna pay for all the resources that you need. And then he had a boat system. He had many ships, Monmouth did. And so he used his ships to smuggle the Bibles, to get them to new, so that people could read the Bible in their own language. Why? Because he had a vision of not just saying, how much can I store up here? But how much can I store up in heaven? And I just wanna give us a chance to respond because what we wanna see raised up is what does it look like? See, what the church is, it's people who together say, we will take the financial burden and we will take the spiritual burden. And in different seasons, someone's gonna step up and say, this is where I believe God's gonna go. This is where I believe God's leading me. This is every time, every time, every time a church plant goes out, they say, I will, I will take the spiritual burden. And everybody else says, great, then we're gonna take the financial burden. And I, want us to, I just want us to be able to respond for a moment. If you'll close your eyes and pray with me, I just want us to respond wherever we are. The word of God must be responded to. Maybe we just take a moment when just in your hearts, just say, Lord, I wanna store up treasure in heaven. And just think about, well, what would it look like? What would it look like? What's one decision that you could make? Maybe it's you're gonna start praying for somebody. Maybe it's you're gonna publicly identify with Christ. Maybe it's you're going to start giving to the kingdom of God for the first time. What does it look like for you to store up treasure in heaven? Some of you, you just need to repent of a bad eye. For some of you, it's financial. Everything's about finances. For some of you, it's sexual. Everything's about sexuality all the time. It's all you think about. It's the only lens you see through. Whatever lens it is, it's like, let's have the gospel lens be how we see. And let's see Jesus Christ as our great king and master. All other masters will treat us unjustly. All other masters will lie to us. All other masters will betray us. Only Jesus Christ is a master we can trust. We ask all this in his name. Amen.